Welcome back to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason. Jason, I really enjoy our podcast guests who are really forward-looking in agriculture. Today's guest is an entrepreneur, uh, inventor, and a part of the ag startup culture. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we spoke with Dr. Chen Mai Soman, who is the founder and CEO of EarthSense, which is a company that is developing robots to go out and run through the field and collect data. So these robots can go out and they can collect all kinds of information about the field, relay that back to the farmer, and the farmer can make decisions based on that information. And I really wish all the listeners could have been there with us because we took a quick tour of their lab. And it was really fascinating to see these things and how they work. Yeah, we'll be sure to add a picture to our website episode. So be sure to check that out and see what these little robots look like. We got the idea to interview Chen Mai from our episode 39 guest, who is Jack Mark, who leads the Illinois Ag Accelerator Program in Champaign. So be sure to go back and give episode 39 a listen if you're interested in some of these ag startups that are really bringing some great ideas to the industry. Yeah, I agree, Preston. I think there's a lot of interesting things out there that are going on and a lot of value to be added yet to agriculture. So let's just jump right into listening to the conversation with Chen Mai. Well, Chen Mai, welcome to the podcast. To kick things off, could you tell us a little bit about your background, education, history, things like that? Uh, yeah, certainly. It's, it's great to be on. Thanks for taking the time and thanks for inviting me uh, to speak with your audience. I'm originally from India, grew up in a big city, you know, not directly a farming background, but a lot of my extended family are sort of small scale farmers uh, in India. Um, and then also I went to this uh, school, sort of middle school, high school that had a very strong sort of social mission, social agenda. And as a result, you know, me as well as the EarthSense co-founder Girish, who I've known and been very good friends since uh, with since we were 10 years old, we spent a lot of times in villages working with farmers, you know, figuring out kind of what conditions they face. So it's always been in the background uh, agriculture has. Um, even though, you know, as kids, I was like a you know, science nerd, right? Uh, so I uh, came to the U.S. to go to grad school, uh, did my Ph.D. from Vanderbilt University on bio-nanotechnology, um, you know, invented a couple things for detecting cancer, treating cancers, you know, uh, filed patents, uh, was always on the sort of border of like, hey, I want to create cool new technology, but at the same time also interested in how technology is commercialized and how it gets adopted. So did uh, business plan competitions, you know, won a couple business plan awards uh, for those kinds of things. And then right as I was uh, finishing up my PhD, uh, there was this huge spike uh, in farmers committing suicide in India. So we're seeing some of the similar things even in the U.S. now, with especially in the dairy sector. But, you know, in general, farming is never an easy uh, profession. Sure. Yeah. Uh, farmers are always under stress. And, you know, sometimes things kind of reach that kind of st- uh, breaking point, right, for a lot of people. Um, so as a result, uh, I was like, okay, you know, what am I doing with all my training and education and knowledge of science and engineering? Uh, so went back to India, spent almost a year uh, there working with folks uh, in the grassroots, you know, working with grassroots uh, farmer organizations, rural development organizations, trying to figure out, uh, you know, what is it that I could do to help. Yeah. And as you guys can probably imagine, you know, a lot of those things are tied up in politics and social and cultural <laughs> aspects. So I was like, 
not really the best use of my time, not really the skill set that I have. I could like live in a village and make life better for a thousand people after 20 years, mm-hmm. or I could kind of rethink what I'm doing as a scientist and as a technologist um, and create technologies that help farmers all around the world. Uh, fortunately, uh, I had a friend here who was a faculty uh, in agricultural engineering, uh, was like, yeah, you know, we've been thinking a lot about how we can use nanotechnology and bio, like sort of emerging bioinformatics, biotechnologies uh, for uh, agriculture. Um, you know, do you want to help come help out? So I uh, came back to the U.S., uh, started working on that, um, you know, converted my knowledge of uh, human health biomarkers to agricultural health, which, as we all know, is, you know, all rooted in the soil, and the science of microbiomes was just starting to take off then. So I kind of thought about how that applies to agricultural sustainability and productivity and profitability. Um, Ended up uh, getting a grant from the National Science Foundation uh, for looking at soil microbiomes. So how do we improve agricultural practices to uh, you know, improve soil health and improve outcomes for farmers, right? Um, so, you know, uh, created a lot of interesting science out of that. But then at the same time, I was like, okay, you know, do we need to reinvent some of these basic things? So, like, yeah, do crop rotations better, you know, uh, plant cover mm-hmm. crops, uh, take care of your soil. And if, you, if you're improving your soil, overall the farm uh, and overall the business is going to do better. So at the same time that this was happening, I'd reconnected with Girish, uh, who's the co-founder and chief technology officer uh, at EarthSense. And I was like, hey, you know, here's this huge challenge that we know of since childhood, and it's still an unsolved challenge. And he had been working on um, sort of autonomy and AI for drones uh, uh, through his PhD at Georgia Tech and postdoc at uh, the MIT. And I was like, okay, you know, let's find out if we can like make these technologies, these types of technologies better for farmers, uh, you know, how, what do we need to do to make them uh, more useful to farmers? Because DJI had just started coming out with their drones, so drones, you know, were really a very uh, affordable technology. Mm-hmm. But when we went out and talked to farmers, they are like, yeah, I mean, it's a good toy. Uh, we can get nice pictures of our fields and we can see some like red, green maps maybe after uploading the data and downloading it five days later. And, but we still have to go out and um, you know, figure out actually what's yeah. going on. Like boots, there's no substitute to boots on the ground. So one of the most interesting questions we got sort of from a few different people was like, hey, can you make these drones fly underneath the crop canopy? And you know, I would have probably said yes, but Girish actually knew what was what. Right? <laughs> it was like, yeah, that's not a realistic thing to do in any kind of realist, you know, uh, near time frame. So we thought about what it is that's practical to do uh, in, in, uh, in the near term. And we're like, okay, yeah, you know, we can't make drones fly underneath the crop canopy, but surely somebody's make like drones on the ground, right? Uh, so we looked around a little bit and, you know, there's, there's some uh, people that had worked on robots for like warehouses and robots for like, you know, outdoor applications, defense applications, but nothing was really tailored for like, you know, the 200 million acres of corn and beans, right? Uh, so we're like, okay, oh, no, we, we're going to have to make our own hardware for the, you know, AI that needs to live on it, right? 
so we ended up biting that bullet and saying, okay, yeah, let's let's make these robots, and you know, what is it that we can solve uh, with these robots in terms of like starting with under canopy data, but then ultimately building towards a solution of for a variety of different mm -hmm. problems. Um, so that's kind of a long way of saying, you know, that's how we started since back in 2016, starting with drones, but then quickly pivoting to ground robots. Um, and it's been a really uh, crazy and really fast journey uh, since then to where we are today. Nice. Yeah, that's super interesting. And, and I think that there's a lot of scientists out there, which you're clearly a scientist. You've invented things, you've done research for years, but mm -hmm. to, to pivot and, and to start a business based on it that's maybe it makes maybe takes a different personality how did that come about for you yeah yeah it was it always went back to that sort of desire to say hey yeah these technologies you know that are being created uh, yeah we could do science with it and we could sort of you know publish some papers but if they don't see the light of day and if they don't make the difference to people in the real world that's kind of you know not yeah. a job that's fully done. And uh, we'd rather, you know, we've always been uh, the kinds of people that was like, okay, we want to see this all the way through yeah. rather than leaving it halfway done. You right? had a desire to bring it to the real world and, yeah. you know, make it happen, not just, like you said, put it out there in a paper somewhere. Maybe somebody picks up on it, maybe they don't. And right. You, you can have a lot more impact this way. Exactly. It's all, it's all about the impact, right? And, you know, it kind of dovetails very nicely with UFI being a land-grant institute, which has this, like, multi-fold mission. Yeah, you want to create new knowledge, but you want to translate that knowledge to where people in the real world benefit from it. Uh, so it, it's part of that overall mission to say, okay, yeah, we're, we want to be at the forefront of creating new possibilities for people. And then, you know, also translating them from sort of the science and technology invention piece to translating it to, you know, uh, where there are actual products that people benefit from. Cool. Well, for the listeners, I mean, me and Jason have obviously read all the news stories about EarthSense. Maybe could you give just a 10,000-foot view of what EarthSense is, maybe some of the, the problems that you're bringing solutions to as well? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, why are, why are we doing these small robots? You know, uh, so the objective is to figure out, you know, what are the holes in the existing ag equipment system, right? Like, the folks at, you know, the large tractor companies, they've, you know, really smart people working for the last, what, 60, 80 years, solved some of the biggest problems in making agriculture as efficient uh, and as scalable as possible, right? Like, so things like planting, harvesting, tillage, that kind of stuff doesn't really need more refinement other than sort of the, you know, kinds of stuff that they're already doing in terms of making their tractors, you know, more intelligent, uh, more autonomous. But at, at the same time, the human judgment is always involved in doing those things properly. Uh, what we were always looking for are, you know, what are problems that we can solve with equipment that's a completely different form factor? You know, what is the smallest ground robot that we can make that's still useful for a particular use case, right? Um, and, you know, like I said, we started with drones, so that, that was kind of the, like, you know, okay, the, here's a five-pound equipment, you know, let's make this as useful as possible. And then when we run out of that, let's make a 30-pound robot. So mm -hmm. our current robot 
you know, uh, weighs about 30 pounds. Um, and it's designed to be essentially a drone on the ground, you know, go through the field, uh, figure out, like scan each plant that it's going past, uh, figure out a number of different things about that particular plant or, you know, about those thousands and thousands of plants. Um, and then tell the user what's going on with them. And then the question was like, okay, who is this useful for? Yeah, we can, uh, you know, ultimately we want these robots to be field scouts, you know, or tools for field scouts, uh, so that the farmer or their agronomist can come by, drop off the robot, you know, come back the next day and have a really high quality, actionable map of the health of that whole field and say, okay, yeah, I see over here, you know, looks like it could use, you know, 10 pounds more nitrogen, uh, over here, there's some you know weeds that are starting to take hold, uh, and doing that kind of precision management that informs the next level of actions without having to put you know so many boots on the ground. Um, and honestly, like you know, regardless of how many boots on the ground we put, uh, they're never going to be able to cover as much area as we would like to do precision management with. There's right? a lot of farmers who are really good at scouting. There's also a lot of farmers who just drive by scouting. <laughs> People don't have the time. The you know, well, I mean, it's honestly, fun yeah. Walk through a cornfield, so it, really it's cool. not. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we've, we've done our fair share of uh, walking through cornfields, getting our face <laughs> cut up and hands cut up. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you know, this is not fun to do in like yeah, the yeah. July heat and humidity. We'd rather build robots that do it. Right? <laughs> it's a strong part of the motivation. Uh, it's like, yeah, I'd, I'd rather build robots to do this yeah. rather than have people do it. Laziness is the mother of invention. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. I'd rather, you know, sit in the comfort of the, you know, uh, truck yeah. cab and see the robots doing their thing. And it's yeah. like, yeah, you know, I'm right. tweeting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's so ingenious to me, too. I mean, the, there's a lot of, and drones definitely have a place, but it's so hard to get information below canopy and yeah. broad recommendations. It's so exciting that there's something That's right. within the canopy, you know, that can mm -hmm. be sensing in real time. And yeah. I'm assuming the deliverables of some sort of a map where you can see how things look from a geospatial perspective. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So so the robot has lots of sensors already integrated with it, right? So mm -hmm. it has a high accuracy GPS, like RTK GPS built in. Yeah. Um, it has three, high, four high definition RGB cameras. It has a couple of LIDARs. All of that nice. data is being combined. Um, and right now we work with mostly sort of crop breeders and scientists because the onboard computers are not powerful enough to mm -hmm. process that data in an energy efficient manner. But you guys know how like technology evolves, right? Like right. in a couple right. of years, the onboard computers mm -hmm. are going to be fast enough and energy efficient enough mm -hmm. that they're going to be able to churn through that information, digest it and say, okay, you know, here's the map of your field, here's where plants are growing as expected, here's where they're falling behind, here's a picture of the, what the plant looks like that's falling behind, here's, based on machine learning, I can tell that this plant is low on nitrogen, or that other plant is, you know, being, you know, attacked by some pest, um, yeah. and then, you know, here's a set of actions that you can take, here's, you know, what your ROI would be if you did, you know, call Bob and ask him to spray such and such in this part of your field, right? right, right. Uh, so that that's kind of the uh, direction we're building towards. But of course, you know, we the other uh, strong uh, sort of philosophy or ethics, if you will, that we've had from day one is like, yeah, we don't want to push 
a product on farmers that we know is gonna like waste their time or not gonna be useful for them. So even though ultimately the vision is, yeah, how do we make these robots that are delivering value to farmers? We know that the technology just isn't there yet, right? Um, and so the question is, how do we go from here to there uh, while the technology is still being created? And you know, how do we deliver uh, this rich data set to farmers for a very affordable price uh, and a very high level of functionality? So we, on the way, we found customers like you know, uh, crop breeders at the large public universities or even, of course, in the private sector, mm -hmm. who are willing to take that chance on the emerging, evolving technology and say, okay, yeah, you know, we're not farming, you know, thousands of acres to make yield, but we have millions of these plots of like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, hundredth of an acre or thousandth of an acre. And the data from that is extremely valuable to us on a relative yeah. scale. And can you give us just the data? Like, you don't even have to give us any recommendation because we've got all of that covered. Mm -hmm. Just tell us how the plants are doing, how tall they are, you know, how many leaves they have, you know, how high off the ground the ears are, how thick the stems are, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that, that's been our sort of first market of like, okay, this has a catalytic impact on agriculture as a whole. If farmers benefit from better seeds that are developed faster and at a lower cost, you know, they'll get the advantage of having those better seeds sooner um, so that uh, farmers' uh, sort of operations improve. And then at the same time, we're creating the technology that ultimately is going to benefit farmers as well. Um, so, so that's kind of been our journey. It was like, okay, yeah, ultimately this is for farmers, but let's not try to push it on farmers right now when we know it's not actually useful it's to them. Because farmers, yeah, and you know, yeah, the farmers are being like a busy people, right? They're being sold all kinds of snake oil all the time. Anyway, we don't we don't want any part of that. We want to get to farmers when we know that what we have is useful for them. Uh, and we've been very lucky to have lots of farmers that are interested enough and sort of realistic enough about these technologies that they're like, yeah, we understand that this is not useful for me right now, mm -hmm. but anytime you want to come out on my field, you know, trial the robots, uh, figure out how they work, you know, want my feedback. So we've had lots of farmers that have participated and that have been, you know, solid partners with us over the last five years. Uh, who are like, yeah, you know, I love technology, I love the toys, I want to be involved in this next There's generation. There's who are early adopters right, to right. be in on that. Yeah, problem. and yeah. more importantly, they want to give feedback to, like, you know, emerging technologies yeah. so that ultimately they will be useful for them, Yeah. right? Uh, so you, you absolutely need that exactly. in a position like yours. I mean, to, you don't want to overlook something that yeah. maybe in a practical sense might be necessary yeah. for a product yeah. like that. Yeah, and unfortunately, because we've sort of worked in this transparent manner with farmers uh, in the recent fundraising round that we did, there's like three farmer investor syndicates nice. that have participated and that cool. have invested. Like, That's yeah, awesome. we know that what you're making right now isn't you know going to sell to farmers, but we see where you're going, yeah. and we'd like to be a part of it, not just from sort of you know giving you advice and benefiting from it, yeah. but we'd also like to give you some financial support. Uh, so yeah, it, it's been a great ecosystem to work with, great great group of people uh, to work with all around, all around the country, and then increasingly uh, overseas as well.
So the amount of data that you're collecting is, is kind of mind-boggling. I mean, when we talk about anything, when we talk about sensing, we're, we're really probably capturing more data than we can almost data know what fatigue. to do with. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're, you know, just to kind of put it in perspective, you're you're taking an image of every single plant. Yeah. And so, you know, in a 30-acre in a field, say, <laughs> at, at normal population, you're talking to a million plants right there. Yeah, yeah. So just talk about that a little bit, that, that data and and what happens to it then it, you know like presence that it comes into a map but yeah. how is that utilized right right um, so sort of short term long term right so currently the robots are uh, recording 150 200 megabytes of data every second Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so the robots have like a couple terabytes of storage on board uh, and then, you know, as they go, are yeah, going up. 50 megabytes a second. A that second. fills up a terabyte fairly quickly. <laughs> it's, it's really fast. Yeah, exactly. So people are going out, running the robots, even in the breeding fields, and then coming back and uploading the data to the cloud, right? Because mm -hmm. like, uh, like I said earlier, it's, you know, it's currently not practical to process that data on board, right. let alone on board right. in real time. But that's kind of where we need to get to in the next couple of years and where we're you know, even working maybe on. make decisions in real time to exactly. maybe take action if you yep. incorporate uh, maybe a spray and, and, you, and you see a disease coming in and yeah. maybe you go out and you spray individual plants it sounds crazy but maybe that's where you're headed long that's term. that that's that's what needs to happen right and and you know uh, this is part of the technology evolution evolution both from the uh, hardware side you know there are better and better uh, sort of computer chips that are becoming available, especially sort of machine learning optimized chips, uh, that we see them in a couple of years being able to churn through this data real time. So then we don't actually have to store the raw data. We can just analyze it on the fly, just store the like information about like, okay, you know, how healthy is this plant, you know, roughly. And, you know, if it's not healthy, what's actually going wrong? You know, is it tar spot? Is it, you know, nitrogen deficiency? Is it some fungal disease, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then each of these data points every second is being geotagged. Um, so we can, uh, you know, then on the fly, like currently we do re create the map offline. But then, you know, because it's being geotagged with this RTK precision, uh, then we can generate this map real time on the field and say, hey, you know, here's a like precision ag oriented map of your field, exactly the problems that are going on, um, you know, in different parts of your field on like a quarter acre grid or, you know, maybe less. Um, and then, you know, then either the agronomist makes some decisions, the farmer makes some decisions on what to do about it, or over time we can also build in that expertise and say, okay, yeah, based on what I've seen in this field, here's what you can do about it to increase your, our, uh, increase your yield, and, you know, if you take this action in the next week, it'll cost you this much, but it'll, you know, reduce yield losses by, you know, that much mm -hmm. and so forth, right? Um, so that's the... Uh, yeah, the answer to data fatigue is essentially uh, edge analytics. So instead of uploading this data to the cloud, which from most parts of you know the heartland you actually can't. There's not not enough, not not even not enough bandwidth. There isn't any bandwidth, right? Like there's no connectivity at all. Mm -hmm. um, so partly it's doing the data analysis on board. And I feel like Jeff Bezos already has enough money. We don't need to give him more money. Uh, so let's let's do the analytics on the robot, on site. And, 
you know, that improves everything. We don't have to worry about this data overload. Uh, the data is being analyzed in sort of near real time. And then, uh, you know, we're working with some uh, like rural broadband uh, providers as well to say, okay, you know, what kind of connectivity are we still going to need uh, to where, you know, in let's say the next five years, if one of these robots is going to be stationed at a field uh, for the bulk of the season, then it still needs to communicate back and forth to some extent, right? Mm -hmm. So with this uh, like rural 5G, what is it called? Uh, Mid-band uh, 5G uh, or CBRS network. So there are some of these technologies that are uh, coming online slowly uh, that I think will pay, play a key part to making this uh, much more easily, uh, much more practically available to everybody. I was just going to say, so for the listeners, we'll we'll include a picture of one of your robots oh, in the yeah, show notes, yeah. but I mean, this is an audio medium, so just to describe it, so it's a machine that fits within a 30-inch row, so you yes. can drive one machine down a row. Do you envision like a certain number of machines needed per acre, or I'm just kind of curious, do you think one machine can, you know, in a day, sample enough geography, or how, how do you make... Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question. So... Uh, yeah, so it's a robot that's about a foot wide, you know, one and a half foot long, a foot tall, so very compact, size of a small dog, I guess. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, the idea is that it's zipping through the field at a fair pace, like three, four miles an hour, uh, but it can be too much faster than that because uh, the cameras are imaging plants that are a few inches away from it. So if you, you know, fly too fast through the field, then the imagery becomes kind of unusable. It's too blurry, right? right. Um, so that's kind of the speed and size of it. Uh, to scout in a field, then it comes down to the question of, you know, how do we do it in the most time efficient uh, and smartest manner? So uh, the, the baseline approach would be to say, hey, you know, here's the boundaries of a field go through and give me information on like a quarter acre grid or something like that. And then the robot will go up and down, let's say every fifth row, every 10th row, uh, zip by from point to point and then slow down, take high quality imagery, zip on to the next data collection point, something along those lines. And then over time, it'll become even smarter because it'll know from previous visits to the field or other kinds of data sources, you know, yield map from the last year, uh, satellite imagery from the previous weeks to say, oh yeah, these are potential problem spots. I'm gonna collect, you know, more data in those potential problem mm -hmm. spots so that, you know, that data is more useful. Whereas other parts that are known to be high yielding and known to be healthy recently, maybe we don't need to collect as much data from it. So that kind of like uh, learning behavior uh, we're starting to build into the system. Um, so that's a long way of saying, uh, you know, we want the robots to scan like a typical, like a 80 acre parcel um, in about an hour, maybe maximum two hours, um, and then do this in an unattended fashion. So go out, come back, and then maybe, you know, the agronomist has a bunch of these robots in his truck. Um, and then, you know, they're dropping them off at a field and saying, okay, right. I'll come back uh, mm -hmm. a few hours later to pick it up and, you know, get the data. Right. Uh, that That's basically uh, the idea. So, yeah, 
definitely not like many robots per acre for the scouting application. Now, when we get to futuristic applications like controlling weeds or, you know, applying precision fertilizer or spraying fungicides or those kinds of things, then it'll probably have to be a few robots that are deployed for a whole day at a field. Um, and then, but then again, you know, um, those same robots can be taken to the next field over. So, you know, that way it becomes much more efficient in terms of the per acre cost. Um, so that, that's kind of our, uh, our, our strategy. We're, we're not in the business of like, you know, selling the maximum number of robots. Uh, we're, you know, in the business of covering the most number of acres in the most efficient way possible, because that's the only way it's going to make sense for the growers, right? Um, so that, that's how we look at it to say, okay, you know, what is the fewest number of robots uh, we can make that will still satisfy the largest number of acres? So I'm kind of curious, and maybe this is a dumb question, or maybe this is too simplistic, but when you're talking about the robot going through the field, obviously going down a row is no problem, but it's got yeah. to get over into the next row. Yeah. Is there some kind of implication of planting? Does a, a row have to be left out on the end rows, or how does that work? Does the robot, I assume you have to plan ahead a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I think I, that some of the best options for this have come from the growers that we work with. They're like, yeah, we could leave off one end row. So the, because the robot is so thin, it can actually do like turn on the spot okay. within a row itself, but even that doesn't solve exactly what we're talking about. But it, you know, it's highly maneuverable, mm -hmm. right? So even if you leave off like one row of your end rows, then that it gives can make the, the turn. Yeah, it can make point. the turn right there. Uh, the other interesting thing that I've heard is that you know, with the modern planters, you can program them to leave like you know a foot gap here and there, mm -hmm. in yeah. you know uh, every other row or something like that. And that creates the ability for the robot to kind of zigzag through the field mm -hmm. uh, in a very efficient manner. So we think that that's a very interesting idea, um, and we'll be kind of you know uh, testing out how the robots function in these kinds of scenarios where either the there's a gap in the end rows or gap in the normal gaps you know all around the field in those uh, and you know some of these gaps occur naturally. Anywhere. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's the other option to kind of hunt for those and go through. So with that strategy, or or your strategy just in general, so would you go down every single row, or would you kind of sample areas within the field? You know, maybe skip five rows or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Depends very much on the application. I think you know, for scouting a field, I feel like it's overkill to go up and down every single mm -hmm. row. It probably like every fifth or maybe even every tenth row mm -hmm. is probably going to give you enough information. Uh, if you're, you know, down the line, let's say, you know, herbicide resistance weed is a crazy enough problem that we have to, you know, deploy these robots to do that. Uh, then, yeah, then we do need the robots to go yeah. up and down every single row. And then we probably need, do need to have like, you know, five robots stationed at a field where they can cover the whole field every week. Yeah. You know, they don't need to go up and down every single row every day. because Hopefully the weeds aren't growing that fast. <laughs> but they probably need to go through up and down every single row, you know, once a week, once every three or four days, something like that. Um, so, yeah, it depends very much on the application. That's what I was going to ask, too. When you characterize a field, have you found, like, an ideal interval between scouting visits? Like, do you think, like, once early spring, once 
late spring is okay, or you or you found kind of a sweet spot, or multiple timings throughout the year, or is one time better than other times? You know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, very much driven by crops and very much driven by what the farmer wants to know. So yeah, you know, right after emergence is a great way, great time to scout to say, okay, you know, do I need to replant in parts right. of my field? Right. right? Is the emergence happening okay? Um, you know, is there any unanticipated like early disease pressure? Right. So that's a great time to scout. Uh, another useful time to scout is right around sort of the V6, V8 stage where you can go in and do a side dress uh, if you find, you know, some plants falling behind. Um, and then, you know, another one right around the sort of tasseling, silking uh, time to say, hey, you know, is everything on track? Is there anything we can do at this point? Because then afterwards, probably not a lot you can do. Like by the time you get to like R3, R4, uh, it's all locked in pretty much, right? So those three or four visits earlier in the season uh, probably most make the most sense uh, from sort of delivering concrete, actionable information. Um, and, you know, similar in beans as well, I think, you know, early emergence, uh, sort of mid-growth stage, and then, you know, right around the time of uh, sort of, you know, uh, before pod uh, start appearing, right? I, I was going to ask you about beans because yeah, in my mind, this whole conversation, we've been in my mind, we've been thinking about corn, where you know, <laughs> there's more open area down in the canopy of corn, yeah. where beans have branching and, and there's less open area. But this works also in beans. Uh, Thirty inch beans, yes. Sure. Fifteen inch beans, right. it gets real <laughs> tight. A challenge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then exactly as you pointed out, you know, depending on the variety that you're planting. Some of these varieties do have enough of a, the robot's real close to the ground, right? It's barely a foot tall. Uh, so it can kind of squeeze through just fine uh, under uh, beans as well. But there are definitely varieties where like, yeah, it's, there's enough branches <laughs> that are tangled right, up right, yeah. low to the ground yeah. where they're not you making have a it nice easy blurry to picture of exactly. leaves against the yeah. camera. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So, so it depends a little bit on the varieties, uh, but for the majority of the varieties of beans that we put the robots through, uh, they worked okay, okay. Uh, for the most part during the season. They're, they're definitely sort of, you know, maximum canopy times where it's like, there's like leaves are blocking the cameras basically continuously. This is like not really very useful yeah. data to collect at that uh, time, yeah. but then, uh, yeah, then it, when the plant starts drying down a little bit, then we can go back in and, you know, uh, look at the pods and stuff like that. Sure. Well, it sounds like you've got some cool technology with EarthSense. Can't wait to see where you go in the future. Oh, thank you. Yeah. We always kind of wrap up the end of the podcast, you know, looking towards the future. Yeah. You are already in the future. We'll be interested <laughs> to hear your answer to this question. But I guess, yeah, how do you see the future of ag? What most excites you about the future of ag technology? That's, that's a really good question. You know, one of the things that we keep hearing about is the possibilities from these kinds of technologies for enabling farmers to diversify. So the carbon markets, for example, are an interesting lever, you know, in and of themselves, the carbon payments are not enough for farmers to really change uh, the way they do business. Uh, but it, I think, uh, starts moving us towards okay, you know, do we have to be doing corn and beans or corn, corn, beans? Uh, or, you know, can corn, we... Corn, corn, corn. <laughs> or corn, 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 if you're still... Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it is very easy to do it with 
uh, well, it is the easiest thing farmers can do right now with existing technologies, right? Um, as sophisticated and as uh, well-engineered as uh, they are, they are still capable of only doing these like very large-scale, you know, uh, one, two, maybe you have wheat, wheat in there, you know, once in a while. Um, but with, you know, what does the future of agriculture look like? You know, is it uh, sustainable even from an economic point of view for farmers to keep doing this year after year? Or should we look at, you know, fundamentally uh, starting to reintroduce uh, more diversity into agriculture uh, to improve economic security for farmers and then, you know, improving underlying uh, resource, which is the soil, right? Uh, so some of the most fascinating conversations we've had with farmers when we're talking to sort of the grandpa who's like, you know, 80 years old and then the grandson or the great-grandson who's like, you know, still in school, also working on the farm. And it's like, yeah, you know, used to be in like the 1920s and 30s, we were doing ag in a whole different way. And it was by no means easy, right? Uh, when you had sort of, you know, you were you had cattle and hog on the field, on the farm, you were putting the manure back on the fields, you had, you know, alfalfa, corn, soy, rotations going on. Uh, yeah, not, not an easy life. But it was also sort of a more diversified ecosystem, more diversified system that uh, gave farmers a better, I think, measure from what I've heard, better uh, sort of economic security against sort of, you know, uh, swings in the commodity prices. And then now there's also increasing understanding uh, that we're, you know, in some ways rediscovering of like, yeah, having these kinds of crop rotations and integration of animal agriculture in the commodity crops improves the soil, uh, allows you to farm more economically because, you know, instead of putting like paying for the nitrogen you're kind of you know keeping it cycling within your system um and but how do we do it with less than one percent of the people in the nation being involved in agriculture right i mean one of the biggest changes that's happened is a lot fewer people like you know yeah. in the 1920s 30s like 50 percent 60 percent people were working on the farms and now it's like less than one percent right so how do so I think that that's the most interesting possibility of like okay how do we reinvent some of these older uh, you know more fundamentally sustainable and more uh, sort of rewarding to the rural economies ways of doing agriculture but under this like ridiculous labor scarcity which is never changing I don't think uh, so that's the role that I think. Uh, robots will fill where uh, they create this opportunity, create this option for farmers to say, okay, yeah, I understand uh, that we do need to find, uh, you know, farm in a more diversified manner um, for, you know, economic security as well as, you know, keeping the farm viable for the next five generations. Uh, and, you know, but I have to do it kind of all by myself as a landowner or as a farmer. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's crazy how difficult it is to find labor uh, and, more importantly, skilled labor that's required to, uh, you know, operate all these equipment. So as these robots become more and more uh, capable of doing some of these tasks, 
And as the large tractors also become more and more autonomous, uh, I think that's really what it comes down to, sort of this vision of almost a utopian vision, right? It was like a Garden of Eden that we're right. creating, but rather than you know people having to do honestly like backbreaking labor for their entire life they're assisted by all of these you know smarter robots i mean the word autonomy gets thrown around very uh, cavalierly i feel like you know the only autonomous systems we have is people uh, and for robots to reach that level of functionality is you know not happening within my lifetime i don't think uh, but you I'm know, not sure any of us truly want that either. Ex- and I mean, we probably yeah. don't want it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't want to enter into any kind of like Terminator <laughs> scenario, right? Uh, but you know, I think it's unrealistic to expect that. But what we can expect is with these systems, with these robots, and sort of the related systems becoming more and more uh, capable of dealing with diversified agriculture. Um, that enables the rural economy to be revitalized um, and, you know, our soils to become revitalized because uh, I think, you know, unless we have that, you know, we don't really have anything. Now that's a really interesting perspective because, as Preston said, you're, you're, not, you're looking at the future, but you're also kind of in this future space right now with what you're doing. So yeah. that's great. and We appreciate it. So if there's, you know, a listener out there that's listening and wants to learn a little bit more about EarthSense or about some of these things we've talked about, do you have a recommendation about how they can either interact with you or a website they can go to to learn a little bit more? Or what do you suggest? Yeah, absolutely. Our website is at uh, www.earthsense.co. No M. Um, So, you know, we have our contact information there. We're on Twitter at EarthSense underscore INC. Um, And yeah, we love hearing from growers, from agronomists, from, you know, anybody in the system that uh, would like to explore, uh, you know, create the future with us. Cool. Well, we appreciate it. We'll link all that stuff in the show notes. It's been a pleasure. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you very much, Preston and Jason, for yeah coming out on this nice day. <laughs> it's kind of cold and rainy outside, but it's a nice day to have a chat. Yeah, exactly. It's nice inside. Yeah. Perfect. Fantastic. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.